The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode 201 for the week of March 8th, 2021. Alex, we were just talking the weather this weekend is uh, is beyond gorgeous. Yeah, it feels like we're actually into spring now, uh, 60s and even 70s. It's beautiful out there. So it's and, it's uh, this is a good time, safe time for us to go plant uh, our flowers. Is that is that what you're saying? Uh, I you know I'm a master gardener, Rob. I don't know if you knew that or not. So uh, sure, go for it. So I was I was just kidding. This is a terrible <laughs> time to plant your flowers. You will lose all of them when the big snow comes sometime in April. And clearly, I was kidding that I am a master gardener. That that part was obviously uh, yeah. obviously kidding. Hey, yeah. let's uh, let's jump into some housekeeping. We do have a Slack channel, and there's a lot of people there talking about some interesting stuff. You can join us there by going out to colorado-security.com and clicking on the Slack button. While you are there, go to the bottom of the page, sign up for our mailing list. Uh, you will get one email a week with the show notes when the new podcast comes out. We'd also love it if you went to your favorite podcast player and rated us and subscribed so you got this automatically every week in your podcast player. If you want to help us out even more, uh, you could tell a friend, help us get some more listeners and, and really help build the the Colorado security community. Uh, I mean, much bigger than the podcast is just making sure folks are plugged in with the community in general. Uh, and it, you know, if you want to help us even more directly, we would love it if you'd support our Patreon campaign that helps pay for the costs of the podcast. Exactly. All right. With that, Rob, let's jump into the news. Did you know that uh, Colorado is getting the country's first drone soccer league? You know, because you know, I don't like to read articles. I spent quite a bit of time one thinking about what this meant before I actually uh, clicked in and read it, you know, just from the headline. Uh, unfortunately, it is not very much like Quidditch. Um, that it is, it is on the, it's basically the idea here is that these drones are supposed to themselves go through the goal. They're not actually trying to put a ball in. They are, uh, they're, they're trying to get in um, on their own. And basically the other drones are stopping them from going into the goal. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, I guess if you thought about the a drone being the the ball in Quidditch, it's a little bit like that. But um, but, but every drone is the ball, right? Uh, yeah, I guess every drone is the ball, and and every drone is uh, some uh, wizard on a on a broomstick too. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could uh, actually you know mock that up, put a little uh, little costume on your drone. Anyway, um, you know th this is actually while it is as they say masquerading as aerial combat. It's actually uh, a, a STEM uh, program. So this, there's curriculum around it as well for 6th to 12th graders on how to build and fly drones. So my, my son goes to a STEM school, and, and I was showing this to him, and I'm like, he's like, oh, that's cool. I wish we had that. I'm like, well, go tell your school. You guys should do it. Obviously, you know, this is a thing you can do now. Right. This um, is aimed at you. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly right. He's in sixth grade at a, at a STEM school. Um, I do think that it's a really cool idea. You know, the, the fact that it's called like the U S drone soccer league made me think that it was for adults, but no, it's for kids. And, uh, and, and really it's just getting going right now. So there's a few schools that are a part of it. Um, and I, I don't know where I, I know I saw that in, in the article here somewhere, but uh, it's, it, it is the whole thing's being put together in combination with wings over the Rockies, um, which is awesome because they have, uh, you know, they've been really 
getting out a lot more recently. I, I thought of them as, as a museum and, and now it seems like they're, they're really helping influence the, the community much more broadly. Yeah. And Rob, you know, to your point about this being for kids, just like anything that's for kids, I'm sure that there will be a lot of adults that will try and participate as well. <laughs> and, and parents so. who are very unhappy with whatever officials are there. Well, yeah, you know, all right, but well, good stuff. Let's moving forward to... here, we have an article that's it's really a, a roundup of all of the funding that's happened in town in February. It was a big month for funding. You know, we we talked on our show about Red Canary raising their eighty-one million, uh, but there was other big raises that happened in February as well. And this this show, or excuse me, this uh, article goes into it. Um, with yeah. uh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, so there were three hundred and seventy million dollars in funding um, across eleven deals in February. Uh, yeah. Which which is a big number, but I also want to point out that in January there were six hundred million dollars worth of funding across twelve deals. So January was even bigger. There there was one really big deal in in February with Pocket Outdoor Media, which is a Boulder kind of marketing. Um, they do magazines and websites really for outdoor living, and they raised one hundred and fifty million dollars uh, in February, which is really primarily meant to help them do five different acquisitions of of, of yeah. other companies. Still, that that is a a big uh, big raise, especially that was a Series B. That's a pretty big number for a Series B. Um, Good stuff. And uh, of course, uh, the the one that's most important to us in this list was Red Canary in their eighty one million dollars Series C raise, which was in February. Yeah, it seems like after that there were a bunch of what what we uh, we call at work dogs and cats, like the little the little ones that are important, <laughs> but they're you know there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, there's a ten million dollar one, and then two million, three million. 850,000. So a bunch of little deals in addition to those, a couple of big ones. Yeah. I, I think the other, uh, there were a couple of other technology ones in here that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, but I know you and I talked about it. Boulder's Strata, which is a multi-cloud identity company raised an $11 million series A, which, you know, I'd never heard of them previous to that, that raise. Yeah. And, and I had, and there's, there's also another uh, company called Collimator, which is a, a cloud native engineering solution. So Anyway, it's tough. Well, cool. I, I mean, I, I think the point, the reason we like to share it is just because there's so much money being poured into tech here in town, and uh, and it, it's worth knowing what companies are out there. So if you're if you're interested in tech in the in the area, you maybe maybe take a look at this article and see what companies are, are going to be coming up fast behind the big ones. Rob, speaking of uh, technology startups, uh, Boulder's Left Hand Robotics, which we have talked about, I don't know, it was probably a couple years ago now, um, was acquired by Toro Company. So if you remember, Left Hand Robotics is the company that makes the automated uh, snow blower shovelers, you know, sidewalk clearers, whatever you want to call them. And so now they've been uh, pick, picked up by Toro, which <clears throat> I think, as we know, is a, a bigger maker of, uh, you know, lawn machines and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Toro makes both lawnmowers and snowblowers, uh, which, and of course, now the Left Hand Robotics, they've been making these um, these devices that yeah, primarily they're used for snowblowing, but they actually, just similar to, to Toro, they do both. And and it's actually the same device. So you, the, the device can have a different attachment on the front of it for um, for snow removal versus for lawn maintenance. Uh, and now they're, uh, uh, now they're gonna be part of a much bigger company and able to do this stuff at a lot more scale. So congratulations to that team. Presumably this is, uh, this is kind of the kind of exit they were looking for. Yeah, good for them. Um, and hopefully that we continue to have autonomous uh, robots but just under a different brand. 
Yeah, now I know that the article said how much it cost for one, and now I all of a sudden can't remember. But it was it was like what like thirteen thousand dollars or something like that. Uh, I want to say it was like thirty thirty five for one or something like that. But I mean, even at that, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, you know, I mean, if you're gonna hire people to do it, um, I think the you can you can see the the long term cost savings there. Yeah, I see it. it's thirty six thousand to buy one of these rigs. Um, that that it makes a lot of sense professionally. It's probably not attainable for us to get rid of our own snow removal in our own houses for that kind of cost. I think you're gonna have to, you know, work a couple more years, Rob, you know, maybe uh, get, a, get a good exit from your, your next startup and things like that. Then maybe you can get one of these for your, your yard. I, it just does. It doesn't seem like the smartest use of anyone's $36,000 right there. That's probably true. You can get half of your Tesla for that. Can't you? <laughs> oh, Rob, you're so funny. All right. Uh, next one more Denver startup, uh, Denver Cypher skin. Um, also closed on a $5 million series a round, which is, it's interesting. And I guess we've talked about part of that as through uh, the times we've talked about them, but we've had so much news about cypher skin. Um, it, it's almost funny to me that they're finally just raising a series a. Yeah. You know, they've, they've uh, gone back and forth. We've talked about them on the show as um, you know, initially, I think the first time we talked about them, it, it, this is, this is a suit that people were going to wear to track movements and, and the, the military was interested in it. And then the next time we talked about them, it was this, this uh, material is going to be wrapped around pipes to look for leaks right. and, you know, and cover, covering, you know, many miles of pipes for like oil and gas companies. And those both made a lot of sense, uh, but they've, they've really been trying to find themselves. And it sounds like during COVID they believe they have. So they uh, over between 2019 and 2020, they saw a 3,200% uh, increase or growth of revenue. So, you know, Assumably, they're they're coming from a very small number of revenue at the beginning, up to you know a, a formidable formidable one here with, uh, with at the end of that, and then they've also seen a two hundred and fifty percent increase in number of employees over the, over that year. So they they've really had big growth, and 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 really they they've I think settled themselves on being a company that's going to work with the DOD and and on people versus on pipes, right? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine if they they get to a point where they are. Uh, they are big enough and can focus in multiple places at once. Maybe you uh, you bifurcate the product line and do a couple of different things. But yeah, it sounds like for now they're they're focusing on the people side. Yeah. So congratulations to them. Like you said, I was surprised that it was just an A round. It feels like they've had a lot of momentum. Um, hopefully this this helps them accelerate and and get that growth point where they're uh, where they're being bought by Toro in a year or two. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right. Uh, moving over, we have a uh, interesting. It's it's Colorado news only because a new company is coming to Colorado to sell electric vehicles. So I had never heard of Polestar, um, but it looks like this is a, a Swedish electric car brand that's going to be opening up a new store at the Cherry Creek Mall area. And this is a uh, this is like directly competing with Tesla. And Tesla already has a store at Cherry Creek, and and Polestar says, okay, well, you don't own Colorado. We're going to come get some of that big, sweet, sweet market. Yeah, so um, so I had heard of Polestar previously. Um, there have been some reviews actually of of some of the Polestar vehicles, saying that they are you know on par even better than than uh, than Tesla's, which is uh, interesting to hear. Um, they are a little bit more uh, I think expensive on the low end, but uh, they also uh, look pretty cool. So this is this is a company that was started um, as a, a spinoff of Volvo. Um, and I, th I think instead of trying to, you know, have Volvo sort of electrify their cars, they decided to just, you know, make a different company and, and start from scratch. 
So it, it's pretty cool for me to see uh, another, you know, start from scratch electric car company that's actually coming to market and uh, and being part of the the infrastructure for electric cars. Yeah, they they do have two cars they're going to be selling. They currently sell one's called the Polestar One, which is a hybrid. Uh, it's a uh, one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars to start. So very expensive starting point for that one. And it has a 60 mile electric only range, which is actually the, the longest of any hybrid car. Uh, it 60 miles doesn't seem very far, but most, mostly you're thinking electric vehicles are going to have better ranges. Those hybrids are where you don't get the, the great range. Uh, but then the Polestar two is their fully electric car. Um, and that one has a, a range of 233 miles starts at seven sixty one thousand, And it has a 408 horsepower engine in there. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, the uh, yeah, that the hundred and sixty thousand dollar hybrid that seems like a little bit out of reach for most of everybody. But uh, I mean, even at sixty thousand dollars for the, the fully electric car, I mean, while it's expensive, it's uh, you know, it's not that much more expensive than a uh, you know, a fully decked out gasoline car. Yeah, I, I think it's it's neat to see competition in that space. That to me, that's the big deal. You don't want we don't want to be pinning our hopes on electric cars on Tesla and you know the big big three. Uh, car manufacturers in the U S here. We, it's nice to have more options seeing these guys come in. And, and by the way, they have been beating Tesla in, in some countries around the world. Uh, I thought this was a kind of an interesting paragraph uh, in Sweden. They, they are, are beating Tesla. They were the Polestar two sold 504 units versus uh, 246 for Tesla's model three. So almost doubling Tesla's performance uh, in Sweden. Well, you know, those Swedes, they, they like their homegrown cars. So they sure do. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Uh, moving on to the next article. Uh, again, another funding article here. Uh, Denver uh, truck startup Fluid is raising a $63 million series a, a Series A ahead of a national expansion. So you've probably seen these uh, Fluid truck rentals being used by delivery companies, Amazon or UPS or FedEx or whoever it might be. Um, sort of, I've, I think, as you know, kind of overflow vehicles, right? As during the pandemic, there have been many more deliveries than previously. Um, so, you know, they look like a lot of the other trucks, but uh, have that fluid logo on the side of it. Um, but, you know, th this is sort of their, uh, their strategy is to, to be that, you know, uh, overflow the uh, Uber of delivery trucks, for example. And uh, now they're raising some money to go na nationwide. Yeah. I think we may have had this conversation before I, the first time I saw a fluid truck come to my neighborhood, I thought, Ooh, what, does my neighbor get some kind of medical something delivered? Right. Like, like what's happening here? Uh, and, and I definitely didn't know that they were a Denver company for quite a while either. So it's pretty cool to know that you know, a Denver company has been able to, to fill in and step in or step in and fill a need here for, uh, for delivery as the pandemics obviously greatly accelerated the need for, for deliveries to homes. A couple of stats around this, um, the Fluid saw a six times revenue growth in 2020, not a huge surprise, and they've expanded into nine new markets. Uh, they have about 150 employees right now, and they expect to grow um, another 200 employees uh, by the end of this year. So just massive growth going over there. And then another interesting thing, you know, as a part of this raise, uh, while it's not directly part of the raise, it seems like it's related. Um, shortly before the raise, Fluid had come to an agreement with uh, Lightning Systems, which is a Loveland-based electric vehicle company. Um, and basically, they're going to work with Lightning Systems to order 
600 electric trucks or modify some of their existing trucks to become electric vehicles as a part of the, the, the strategy for the company. And, and one of the investors in, uh, in Fluid is the parent company for IKEA. And, and IKEA said, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to you know, have a zero footprint philosophy. And if, you, you know, if you guys are willing to do that, we're willing to put some money into your company. So kind of a neat thing. Watch out, Polestar. Here comes electric trucks. There you go. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, congratulations to Fluid. Uh, I think similar to you, Rob, but th the first time I saw one of those, I thought, oh, is someone getting like spring water delivered to their house? Is that, <laughs> is that a, no, 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 it's just Amazon dropping something off. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, so, next story we have here is it's, a, it's actually about another raise, I believe, uh, Dispatch Health. So, this is a, a, a local healthcare company, but what they do in terms of healthcare is a little different. I, I hadn't known about this, but basically they provide in-house services that basically mirror what you would get from an urgent care or an ER, um, but you're getting that directly delivered to your house. Yeah. And they've also expanded a little bit, adding um, some long-term long care equivalent kind of services as well. Um, you know, things that you might get from being admitted to a, a hospital overnight or, you know, at a skilled nursing facility. So um, they actually just closed a uh, Series D, I believe. Yeah, uh, it says Series D, and they, they raised two hundred million. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty big number. Um, and after a one hundred and thirty-five million dollars Series C. And the headline here, the reason it it is so noteworthy, is they have now officially joined that unicorn category, that mythical unicorn category, which is a you know a private company that's worth over a billion dollars. Uh, this based on this valuation, they're worth one point seven billion. What I want to know, Rob, is you know when does uh, does inflation or other, something else kick in and they have to bump that number up, right? When is it one billion no longer a big deal for a, a private company to be valued? Maybe at? they maybe they keep the the number the unicorn number at a billion, but they add like a Pegasus layer that's you know, even, even better than the unicorn. Yeah, that, that'd be great. That'd be, I think we should uh, push for that. Well, congratulations to to those folks. They do mention that they're they're currently in thirty one markets and they're going to be. Um, over a hundred markets in the next few years. Uh, I love to see this, these options and you know, having uh, anything that helps improve our, our healthcare system as a, as a nation, I think is a, just a good thing. Yeah, one thing I, th I pulled out of the article that I thought was pretty cool. Um, they, their CEO uh, said that over the, the past few months, they've, they've figured out you know, that they, since they've been growing so much, how to scale up quickly. And they've been adding new locations every two to three weeks uh, over the last six to nine months. That, that's pretty amazing. Every two to so, three weeks, that's pretty fast. That is pretty fast. So, all right. Uh, next story. Now we are finally getting into the security news. Uh, we had lots of non-security news this week, but uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, Ping Identity has joined the Decentralized Identity Foundation to advance open standards around personal identity. Rob, what does this mean? Yeah, so... So over the last, I'd say, well, about a year ago, Ping acquired a company that, uh, Showcard, which was really all about giving users the ability to control their own identity and their own claims versus you having to use your Gmail or your employer account to, to claim who you are and get some credibility. This is basically for us to have it on our own. Uh, and this, that's that, basically the idea of decentralized identity. You know, everyone has their own identity and, and it becomes trustworthy based on claims that are made by other folks on it. So, you know, Alex can, can present to someone, Hey, I'm Alex Wood and I'm the, and I'm the, uh, 
co-host of Colorado Equal Security. And the reason you know it's true is because you're able to come back and take a look at what does Colorado Equal Security say about that? You know, we, we validate it. So it's, it's decentralized where there's not any one individual that's making, making decisions for everyone else. We're able to validate each other's claims. Anyway, so that's the, that's the idea behind decentralized identity. And this is a new group that's, that's really here to try and make it happen. So when I say new, it's actually been around for a few years. Ping has just joined, but it's you know, relatively new anyway, right? Coming out through the details of, of how do you do decentralized identity. And um, you know, I know in the past, Ping has been a part of the Identity Defined Security Alliance. Uh, and I, I personally think of this as being a very similar thing where it's, you know, different companies who all have a, a vested interest in making this new future come to light, um, teaming up together and coming up with standards and, and then helping figure out how to get those standards out into the world. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool, uh, both the concept and the, the fact that, uh, that Ping is trying to push that forward. So good stuff for them. All right, last story this week is a, it's actually a link to a webinar um, by Logarithm. You know, I don't know that we, we, we haven't done very many of these ever where we, we talk about a webinar that's coming, but I thought that this topic was really interesting and, and worth our listeners uh, setting aside some time to, to attend. This is dissect, dissecting the golden SAML attack that was used as a part of the sunburst uh, attacks. So, I mean, everyone has now heard of solar winds lots of times and, and we've used the word solar winds kind of as a, a shorthand for this series of attacks that occurred. Uh, the, this is going to talk you through what different things happened as a part of that, not just the solar winds part, but all the identity stuff that happened. You know, once they right. got into these environments, they didn't, they didn't just uh, look around and leave. They, they started compromising the identity systems. So Logarithm has, a, has this webinar coming up. Uh, or actually, it's happened, but it's now recorded, you can see. Um, that basically talks through all the details of how they attacked Office 365 and ADFS to, to get in there. Yeah, and I mean, I think that is one of the the important takeaways from the whole uh, SolarWinds fiasco too, right? Is that you know th this started as a uh, supply chain uh, attack, but uh, after that, there were a lot of novel things that the attackers did that uh, that we can learn from in terms of detections and uh, and hardening and other things like that. So. Definitely the uh, the golden SAML attack is one of those. So I'd recommend checking it out. Good stuff. All right. Uh, that is our news for the week. Uh, with that, we can jump over to the Slack message of the week. Uh, thanks to Andre Gaeta, who has been a continued supporter of us and the Slack message of the week. Uh, one lucky winner will get one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store paid for by Andre. And Rob, who is our winner for this week? This week, we have Joe McAllister. Joe, I actually was like, oh, I feel like Joe just won recently. But no, Joe won just over a year ago. So time goes very quickly. Uh, but but Joe is uh, is our winner this week. He shared a link to a podcast, which I basically I want to amplify his his recommendation. There is a you know, Darknet Diaries is a security podcast. And and I, I'd say that you know, compared to us, like the difference is we're here talking about news, local events. You know, we do some re interesting interviews. He is all about telling stories, stories about interesting breaches, uh, stories about just in, you know things that happened early in the security timeline. Um, really enjoy his podcast in general. And and this specific story was about the LinkedIn breach. And I, I'll be honest, I almost didn't listen because I I thought I knew everything there was to know about the LinkedIn breach. Um, turns out I didn't. There's a lot of surrounding information that um, that made for an interesting story, and uh, and I, I just wanted to echo Joe's recommendation. So, so once again, congrats to Joe, and of course we we appreciate you being a part of the community. And you'll get to pick one piece of sweet Colorado Equal Security swag for your for your own. 
Awesome. Good stuff. And uh, congrats, Joe. Uh, with that, why don't we move over to events? Uh, yeah, we've our got first a lot, event. Oh, sorry, Alex. A lot, a lot of great stuff coming up. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, if you want to see all of the great stuff that's coming up, go ahead and swing over to the Colorado-Security website, go to our calendar of events, and you can see many months of events. But over the next two weeks, we've got a handful of good stuff. Uh, starting on the 9th, ZapCon is happening. So as a reminder, Zap is the technology that underlies Stackhawk, and they are going to have the first ever ZapCon. Uh, on the 10th, Denver ISSA is doing a meeting zero to one, building a security and privacy program from the ground up. And this is not starring Janelle Shaw. Yeah, we yeah have, sorry. We have er, errata uh, from last week, right? Errata. I, although I, I did hedge, I thought I, you know, it, it, I thought it did have Janelle, but it does not. So no Janelle. So it's, it's Doug Brush and uh, Christopher, is it Lights, Leets? I don't know. Christopher. Yeah. Something like that. All right. Uh, Next event is on the 11th. It's ASIS, the local physical security company, doing a, an event called Your Personal Brand Matters. On the 16th, uh, another ASIS event. They are doing a women in security coffee chat with Tanya Taylor. Also on the 16th, uh, the Cloud Security Alliance of Colorado has their March meeting. On the 18th of March, ISOC at Denver is doing their March meeting. And finally, on the 19th, it's, it's the start of March Madness. So this event, actually, if you're waiting to the 19th to do this event, you're probably too late or mostly too late. Uh, we're Douglas, or sorry, uh, Jason Jakes is, is putting together a bracket for folks to, to compete in March Madness. So if you're someone who loves to, to spend lots and lots of time looking into all the different teams and, and then end up losing because you picked the better team to win, uh, this is probably for you. And if you're also someone who likes to randomly pick teams and, and somehow win anyway, um, Go ahead and, uh, and join up. We'd love to have you join. So yeah. go, out to the, go out to the Slack channel and, and where are they supposed to go on there? Do you know? There, there is a, uh, a fantasy sports channel on the Slack channel. So you can go there and check it out. Um, Jason is helping to promote, but Grant Sturgis, I think, is also involved in terms of uh, being the administrator for the, the site, doing this stuff and uh, collecting entries and that sort of thing. So oh, Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Grant, for doing that. Yeah. Good times. All right. Uh, those are the events. Let's move over to jobs. Rob, does Ping have any jobs this week? Yeah, I got a couple of security jobs I'm hiring for. We're still working on our program manager role. Uh, and I'm also looking to hire product security engineers. So if you're interested in either of those, reach out. All right. Freshworks is looking for a VP of cybersecurity. Uh, the city of Colorado Springs is hiring a security analyst too. Uh, also, there was there was another Colorado Springs uh, City of Colorado Springs position as well. I think it was a senior, not a, not a two. So even if you're more experienced and wanted to work at the City of Colorado Springs, there's another job out there. Uh, Zoom is looking for a security documentation and engagement specialist. First Bank is hiring a manager of information security. I did want to say about Zoom, they're actually hiring a bunch of different positions. I think there was five or six that I scrolled through to pick the one that was there. So uh, if you're interested in working for Zoom, take a look. There's a bunch of security roles here in town. Yeah, they, they seem to hire a lot of people here, which um, is, is good, but um, surprising to me. Uh, First Bank is looking for a manager of information security. Uh, Western Union is, is looking to hire a leader in information security. They're, they don't, I mean, the, the job description gets into more details. I, I did find this kind of an interesting title. Like, what does that actually mean? Just leader of information security. Uh, you have to click to find out. Uh, Couchbase is looking for a senior manager of information security slash GRC. Vail Resorts is hiring a security analyst. And finally, Trimble is looking for a director of cybersecurity. All right. Uh, I think that is it here for the news, but we do have a interview this week. Uh, Jason Jakes sat down with, uh, with 
uh, Rennie McPherson. And Rennie is a partner, he's actually the managing partner at First In, which is a, a capital firm that focuses on technology. And I think they have also specifically been focusing on security investments. I'm very excited to hear this one. So it should be a good interview. Good stuff. All right, Alex, we'll have a good one. Go enjoy the weather while you can. I'm sure it'll be miserable in a few days. That's right. Enjoy it while you got it. Thanks, right, thanks Rob. Everybody. Hi, this is Mary Haynes, VP of Network Security at Charter Communications. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Hello, Colorado Equals Security. I'm Jason Jakes. This interview is with someone new to Colorado, Rennie McPherson. He's the managing partner with a VC firm called First In, and they focus on security startups. This was a fun interview. Hope you enjoy it. Rennie, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jason. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you. And so is the Colorado Equal Security community. They came up with a ton of questions for you. So I'm, I'm super excited to uh, share some of those questions with you and get some of your answers. But before we kind of dive into that long list of questions, um, I do have a few of my own first. So I'm curious, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and how did you end up in Colorado? Sure. Great. Yeah. I, I grew up in New York City originally. And after a career, a short career in the military, lived in the Washington, D.C. area for the better, better part of a decade and a half. And this past August, we moved to the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. So we live in, in Snowmass in, in Aspen. And we, both my wife and I, as kids and teenagers, had grown up spending some spring breaks out here in Snowmass. And we came to the conclusion with young children that it was now or never to move to the Mountain West and specifically to Colorado. We are thrilled to be here, uniting our love of the outdoors and what we both see as a burgeoning tech and security ecosystem. We're excited to be in Colorado and uh, excited to uh, excited to uh, to to do what I can to uh, to be part of this uh, this growing ecosystem. Yeah, that's awesome. Colorado is excited to have you. And um, now that you have moved to Aspen, I'm curious if you have new hobbies or uh, if your hobbies have changed at all. Well, the, the, the main thing is that I realized while I thought I was a half-decent skier, clearly compared to those who've lived here for years, that is not the case. However, I do enjoy downhill skiing and hiking and walking, and uh, I plan to add one new phenomenal outdoor hobby per season. And I think wow. that'll give me about three years of, of new hobbies given um, mountain biking, fishing, uphilling, uh, Nordic cross-country skiing, snowmobiling. So I'm, I'm eager to, to really embrace the outdoors. I've always loved, loved the mountains um, and, uh, and loved, uh, loved the outdoors and excited to, to hopefully take it to the next level. I like the mindset. That's a great way to embrace it. Okay. A couple more questions of mine. Your mother was a soap opera star. 
that's that's what I've heard. I think you told me that before. I have to know more about that. What what's that story? So my 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 mom um, is just a a incredible dynamic person and was such still is uh, still is incredibly fun. Um, what was such a fun you know parent to have as 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 a uh, as as a child and growing up. She has a you know a, a great story um, herself that I think should resonate with with entrepreneurs. It certainly was a lesson I remembered a lot when we were building our our operating business Red Owl, and I was on the uh, you know out out doing a lot of the business development and sales. and And that story is that um, you know raised in a raised in a time um, I, I won't disclose her exact age, but it was. Uh, you know, um, she, she was raised in a time where, um, as a, as a, you know, in, in, in her community, um, there weren't a lot of women that, that worked, uh, sort of outside the house and her, her dream was to be an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, had a, had a first husband and had a sort of, you know, stay at home kind of life, but she, uh, they, they ended up not being together for the long haul. Um, and she, auditioned for a commercial and okay. she auditioned for another and she auditioned for over 100 commercials. Wow. Finally got her first break, which I think for any of us who are entrepreneurs, former entrepreneurs that resonates with. Um, and, and then, you know, then it, then it started coming. Um, she was the one a day vitamin girl. Uh, she was in a ton of commercials and then she got a break uh, onto soap operas. And, and for my entire childhood, she was on the same show, um, which is called Guiding Light. It's it's now unfortunately off the air, but it was the one of the original, yeah. one of the original soaps on the radio, uh, yeah. and then on CBS. So she was on CBS's Guiding Light for something like twenty six years as a uh, as a, a, a cast member. First as a you know one of the core cast, and then as a mother, then as a grandmother. So um, she really saw it all and had some some really important storylines and uh, it, it just served as, as an inspiration. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to hope that both her um, ability to read people and create a early sort of an, an ease with people to, to get to know them quickly um, is, is something that I at least got a, got a small fraction of, but she is a, uh, she is a really special person. Yeah, that's fascinating. And the perseverance to uh, to keep trying and trying, like a hundred hundred auditions. Woo, that's a, right. that's impressive. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I know that you also had your own podcast called um, Numbers and Narrative, and uh, I'm curious about this as well. How did you get into having your own podcast? What was, um, you know, what led you to begin it and, and why, why did you end it or, or stop it? Right. So I did, um, one of my closest friends and I who had met writing a story for our college newspaper, uh, many years ago, uh, nearly 20 years ago. Um, he and I came together, Shortly after I had left my operational role at Red Owl, the the cyber business that that I built with other military and intelligence veterans, and I was you know 
building a, a, another company, uh, a bootstrap services company. And I really wanted to, to think and, and work deeply on people who were in the middle of building things. And, and he and I got together and thought, you know, we've all read the, the, the books about some of the, the tech and entrepreneur heroes. Um, and and uh, while those are important to read, um, I wanted to think more about what, what is it like when you're, when you're in the middle of building your company? Um, he, his interests were a bit broader than that, more on um, s- some policy issues and, and other things, but we alternated shows. So I would record a one-on-one, then he would record a one-on-one. And we started with um, some of our good friends who, who were doing interesting things and then kind of branched out from there. This was early days, you know, half a decade ago, which um, the, the growth of podcasts has really been something since then. Um, we, we both had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, the, the reason why we ended up shutting it down is that we started to get some really, um, you know, sort of at the, the edges of our network, some guests who we thought were, you know, they, they, they were they were really um, they were they were more and more sort of influential, bigger deal people, and uh, not that our early guests weren't, but um, we didn't know them as well. And my my podcast co-host Joe Flood and I had a had a heart to heart and said, we either need to double down and really start doing more with this you know, probably paying someone to edit it really well, step up our game or else we should shut it down. Because in those days we were just, we would just hit record, let the conversation flow, hit stop and post it, which, you know, fortunately we had some people that were pretty, um, you know, everyone was pretty articulate, et cetera. But, um, but it really, um, we, we just made the decision uh, to 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 shut it down, and it had started as really a, a a fun thing for him and me to do. Um, but but we noticed that that you know it wasn't totally focused, right? It wasn't really thematic. It was kind of our people who we thought were doing some interesting things. So um, if I ever do a podcast again, um, uh, it will be more much more focused than than that one. It's funny that. Uh... Podcasts tend to run their course um, for sure. I, what's interesting about the Colorado Equal Security podcast is, in a lot of ways, it's it's community driven, and uh, and so that's why it it just keeps going and going and growing. So it's it's kind of cool. Um, I did notice your podcast sort of rebooted a little bit last year in quarantine. Were did you do any of that, or was that the other gentleman? Yes, that was Joe. So Joe Flood okay. did a, did a little, um, you know, coronavirus reboot um, yeah. as as the uh, as the pandemic was first hitting, um, and and sort of did a did a again just sort of with with some people close in people in in his our network, and um, you know I think it was just m- maybe a dozen sort of quick hit episodes just for fun, yeah. but um, yeah, that was uh, that that was the the short-lived, the short-lived reboot. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. All right. You ready for uh, Colorado equal security community questions? Great. Yes. Let's, let's dive into those. So these come from the Slack channel. 
Uh, anyone out there, any listeners out there, feel free to join. And uh, yeah, these uh, these are all sourced from the community. So let's let's start with this. What do you do differently or better than other VCs in the early stage startup space? Right, right. So um, that 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 question um, sounds like it it could have could be any uh, any you know institutional allocator challenging us to uh, to to why we are so good. So um, first in answers those questions fairly frequently. Um, yeah. Also a very fair question for for entrepreneurs to ask. And the 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 short answer is that we seek to partner with a pretty specific demographic of entrepreneurs first and foremost which I will loop back to and within that demographic of entrepreneurs we only invest in 2 to 3 companies per year which for a seed stage firm is is fewer than most we are more concentrated than other firms. So the relative dollar amount going into those companies is greater. And as a result, while I think every VC would tell you that they add value to your company, we have very tangible ways of doing so. I have built a team of venture partners who all have very specific and relevant skill sets for seed stage, very early stage venture. So we invest typically when a company may or may not have revenue. Um, they may be on the precipice of revenue. They may, in one case, we invested in an inception stage company. Um, we'll we'll invest at seed when maybe there are a few pilots and you know V one of a product and. I have a team that I, I've been on the, the business side for, for a number of years, but we have a team of two technical diligence partners who are venture partners, um, one of whom co-founded Red Owl Analytics with me and now runs his own um, security cybersecurity product firm focusing on operational technology, Dr. Josh Lospinozo, um, after a career in Army Cyber, as well as a, a gentleman named Bobby Tui who had worked at the NSA and in various units within uh, the Navy and, and other parts of SOCOM, Special Operations Command. So the, those two are able to conduct really high-level technical diligence. They also have excellent networks of software developers, VPs engineering, data scientists, data engineers, uh, et cetera, which are extremely helpful because those are those are hard skill sets to find. Um, we have two people that are, or three actually, in addition to me, that are very focused on sales and go to market. Uh, Ish Boyle, who had been a Marine Corps veteran and worked at Splunk as a top sales producer now at Zscaler, um, who has a great network and really has helped our portfolio companies with, with go to market and sales strategy. Um, Art Carell, another Marine veteran who helped uh, fiscal note grow from zero to 75 million ARR. So watched it and, and did it, built it. Um, he's now at Anduril, a pure play defense tech company. And then Ethan Oberman, who is a the founder of Spider Oak, a early data privacy company, and and now a really a um 
a mentor to founders, sort of someone to empathize with them. Um, and, and then we have a just a phenomenal intern, Lizzie Kenter, who's a computer science major at Middlebury College. So we actually do help in recruiting tech talent, building out the sales or going to market. Um, and the other thing I'd say to answer that question is we are looking for typically people who, who fit uh, a, a couple different demographics. One is we're looking for people who are building dual use technologies. Um, when we find them, they are often very relieved that um, we're not totally focused on commercial ARR only, annual recurring revenue. Um, we understand that you know large enterprise companies always have to then go get the biggest client, the biggest enterprise client in the world, um, government, right? U.S. government, Defense Department, um, massive IT customers, um, and 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 we understand that. We're open to it. We like it. Um, so that's one thing, dual use. And the other is we often back people who have served in the military and or the intelligence community. And that's important because that is an underrepresented founder demographic. And um, one doesn't hear it hear that talked about a lot, but there are so many veterans for whom they, they've done incredible work. They've seen firsthand um, some of the, the, the modern threats uh, to the enterprise. And often they are the ones who can benefit from our, you know, shared understanding of that world, as well as um, the team that we've built having been in the private sector now and, and in the commercial space for, you know, many years. Um, so, so we're looking for those military or, or Intel community vets, maybe who've, who've worked then at a another company, you know, got some commercial experience and are ready to ready to start building the, you know, cybersecurity, cloud, data enterprise SaaS companies of tomorrow. That is an awesome answer. And uh, it's so comprehensive that I think you have answered a bunch of the other questions on my list. <laughs> so well done. Well done. Um, the, the next question, you did touch on this, but it, uh, kind of curious if, if you want to expand it all. So how, how do you assess and make decisions on where to invest and what in particular are you looking for in a company or founder? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we have, um, the, 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 the team, you know, we, we've all, we've all been builders of early stage, uh, startups and, or growth stage. And, and, you know, one of us, uh, now, you know, has been working on, on the public side in, uh, in, in tech companies for years. So, you know, we're, we're able to, to do a couple things to, to, well, one, one learning I had, um, and, and the team had, um, I am the, I am the one full-time member of the team, but we have a pretty, pretty actively involved venture partner group, um, comparatively, one thing we learned since launching first in a, a year ago is focus. And I want to be a, a I want to see, you know, many opportunities. I want to be a, a good member of the community. I want to, um, you know, not, not miss anything. And, and that mindset I think is, is, is critical for early stage investors. That said, we really refined into, okay, 
<laughs> if it's not cyber or you know sort of adjacent um something to do with uh you know one of the two companies we backed last year um is a cloud workforce protection cloud security posture management sort of a governance risk compliance layer for hybrid and multi-cloud environments that that, that is adjacent to cyber um you know it, it deals with the the ongoing migration to the cloud um you know you and I and and probably the community here knows that there are still a number of organizations that may tout their that they're totally on the cloud that are really still you know half or more on prem um but you know really focusing in on that and and just saying to to people who referred investment opportunities into me or entrepreneurs who reached out um we don't invest in fintech we don't invest in companies that are reinventing something having to do with the real estate industry and just being more comfortable with that so i think that one getting really tight on we are seed stage uh security cybersecurity and related investors that's what we're good at that was one big learning of the last year um so, so just being in the right um be, being in the right overall place and then within that um we're looking for teams who have solved these challenges or seen these challenges firsthand um as as many of your listeners are are familiar with um a lot of a lot of the 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 what end up being the best companies are from people who you know me, the, their title probably before was not ceo and were very comfortable with first time founders um they had been solving problems in the enterprise as a practitioner or a leader of practitioners and now they're saying okay th this you know many of them were security researchers as is the case with the colorado based company that that was our first investment um they were security researchers identifying vulnerabilities patching them and now building companies to address those ever growing vulnerabilities those are the types of people that we look for and with whom uh we like to partner um those who've seen it and done it before um and and maybe who have a mix of military and commercial experience on on the core founding team okay awesome great answer what areas of security are you most interested in yes so i, I think you know again as 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 many of your listeners are are very familiar with the world is the world is is ever more connected uh every day um with de devices internet of things you know covid many people working from home um that that has just increased the number of uh of 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 vectors of attack um so within security we've gotten excited about a couple things recently um and and one I'll 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 loop back to which is um you know we we didn't have a thesis laid out for this but when we met the the founding team of the the Colorado based company Phylum P H Y L U M who had first hand experience with you know patching vulnerabilities for a Fortune 500 earlier they'd worked in the government and they they helped us understand within the world of open source and see you know uh, something we think about is 
there are all these wonderful themes of technology innovation. Many of them, though, just need better security, you know, period, right? So, so open source is a great example of that. Um, Phylum addresses that their, their goal is to be much broader in, in sort of a comprehensive DevSecOps platform, but they're starting with identifying better for enterprises dependencies within open source code that could contain malware, that could be vulnerabilities. Um, that That is something that, um, you know, they learned firsthand. They tried to deploy the legacy tools to do that. Um, and, you know, found that under the hood, many of those are are much more manual than than people might like to think. So they thought, how can we automate this? Um, that that is something that is is really important, and we, um, you know, we made that that initial investment a year ago. Um, you know, I, I'd point out our venture partner, Joshua Spinoza's company, Shift Five, which, like the Phylum team, Josh and his co-founders had done some research into um, threats to operational technology, specifically um, vehicles. So think. Uh, planes, trains, tanks, et cetera. Um, people who are, what we are most excited about finding people who are living this on the front lines um, and then saying, we, we have to build a company to address this threat. That is what we want to spend the next, you know, decade of our life in, in a, or so uh, doing. Um, and, and people who are seeing these evolving threats firsthand and who are who are who we believe are solving problems that are not not just so narrow that they won't have commercial markets. Okay, so we're we're fine if the you know addressable market today of whatever is being solved is is not that big. But we assess you know not not in ten years because you don't want to you know wait forever. But that in a couple of years this market is really going to pop. Um, and that there, there is a real problem that is being solved. Yeah, that, that actually leads to my next question, which was, uh, what does success look like for a company you invest in? And you just kind of started hitting on that. Sure. So, you know, I, I mean, first, first and foremost, as I said, we really want to be partnering with entrepreneurs who, who are, who, who need at a deep core level who need to build the company that they are building. You know, that's going to be a defining part of their career. And, um, you know, we've partnered j- just in the first two investments with with entrepreneurs who are close closer to the very beginning of their career and entrepreneurs who have already had a lot of success and are, are building, you know, it, it, it may be their last operational business that they create. Um, so, so have sort of, you know, three, four decades of, of, of experience uh, b- before launch. But in both cases, it's people who have dedicated themselves to doing that. So as first in, we want to be investing in companies where we don't, we and they don't have to achieve a, a you know, <clears throat> kind of like front page news, multi-billion dollar exit to constitute success. For two reasons: one, because what they've built is is important and is having impact for security in the enterprise, um, 
and, and that's the first real metric of success. They, they, and we alongside them have achieved that. And two, in terms of dollar amounts, um, you know, we invest early enough such that for our LPs, the people who invest in first in and then allow us to deploy capital into companies, that that we can still achieve a eight, 10, 15 X at a at a exit price of a hundred, two hundred million dollars. So, you know, we're looking for people that are are dedicated to build to building what they are building for for a sustained period of time. Um, and who measure themselves by the impact they have on the enterprise, thereby, um, you know, as fiduciaries for our LPs, we will be able to provide a a excellent return, even even um, you know, e- even without the uh, the 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 sort of uh, you know massive massive uh, you know top line outcome. I like it. What's the best pitch you've ever heard? Hmm. Well, or or potentially, what's the worst pitch you've ever heard? Either way. <laughs> um, I, while I can't say that that you know w- one pitch of of any portfolio company uh, was so much better than any other, what I what I will say, Jason, and, and this is a topic. I think about pretty frequently with with my venture partners, um, and uh, and 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 try to get input from from other uh, other early stage investors. Is this um, many of the investments that I have made um, as first in or before first in as an individual angel seed investor? Most all of the investments I ended up making, I really connected with the pitch on the first pitch. Um, so probably if, if, if I thought about it, you know, last year when I transitioned from an angel seed investor to doing this full time, there might've been four or five companies out of the hundred plus that we had meetings with wh- where it, it just resonated so much with me on that first time that we, you know, in our, in our tracker elevated it on day one from, um, you know, new opportunity, you know, to, to meet with, to, you know, conduct full diligence, take this super seriously. And, and of those, of those handful, um, you know, may, maybe it was five or six that we wrote investment memos on, we ended up get, getting there with, with two of them. And I'm trying to think, you know, there were a number of other <clears throat> companies that we wanted to like, we, we, we 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 did like, but it it didn't initially hit us that hard, um, and, and none of those ended up getting there at the end of the day. Zero of that other group okay. of, you know, may, maybe another half dozen or ten that we pursued some diligence with and and really tried to get it, but just weren't as excited about it. And I think that's a reflection of. Um, the ability of the entrepreneur, and and we're dealing with with highly technical companies, right? And and while I do have two very technical partners, venture partners, um, I, I myself am am more from from the business background. So, if an entrepreneur, even a highly, especially a highly technical entrepreneur, can make the case so clearly in an initial forty five minute meeting that that I get it. 
and understand it, um, that entrepreneur probably is going to, you know, in, in my view, is going to be able to convince um, not only highly technical people, and, and granted, like m- several of our companies sell into technical parts of, of the, the enterprise, um, but they're also going to be able to do that such critical thing, communicate. They're going to be able to communicate to potential hires, both technical and non-technical. They're going to be able to communicate to the broader community, partners, the media, and other prospective investors. Um, several companies that that were just could, could not could not communicate the 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 value of what they were doing beyond the the highly technical um, discussion of it. We did not get there. I, I hope in 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 all of their cases, but but especially a couple of those companies are are, are able to get to that level of success. Um, but but to me, one needs to be able to be self aware enough to understand where the person is with whom they are talking and communicate the value of what they are doing you know, you use an analogy, m- make that person connect with it um, at a, you know, get, get, get through to that person because we're dealing with companies, Jason, at the, the early, early stage where they're not handing us a spreadsheet and saying, look at this, you know, 300% year over year growth, right. several million in revenue, you know, it j- just, it, the, the the numbers don't yet speak for themselves. So to bring it back to my old podcast numbers and narrative, you know, you, you need to be able to have that narrative side as well at the seed stage and, and acknowledge that, um, you know, you are the one that needs to tell the story to go alongside with the, um, the important work that you are doing. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you you have to be able to sell the idea to uh, to really everybody. So good stuff. So here's the next question. Looking back, were there any technologies you wish you had invested in or what's potentially your biggest misses or biggest hits? Great question. So I, 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 uh, I, I think, you know, one of our um, one of our misses. Um, so, so, so for, for, first of all, I'd say that you know, having made this transition to full time uh, investor at First In just a year ago, it's probably too early to see most of our misses in in the the the, the cyber domain and. Yeah. Uh, while I did my best uh, as as a, an angel investor, um, you know, sort of earlier, um, maybe I didn't yet have the uh, the 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 huge deal flow to be able to tell you, you know, I missed on what went on to become the uh, you know the 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 biggest exit ever. Um, I, I, I will talk briefly about a, one opportunity that that is not in the cyber domain. But uh, and that I think you know, given again, I don't know if I would have made the investment. But a a very close uh, investor friend of mine 
showed me a company a year ago that was just so cool. It was such a flyer. And I, I said, you know, I, I was just getting started with first in, we couldn't have done it as first in, um, you know, it was hard for me to, to think I could have used any of my own capital to do it. Um, but that company uh, is literally a, you know, flying car company. And it, it just did two incredible things um, within very recently. One, uh, it, it announced a, an order for bookings that United Airlines was buying, I think, a billion dollars worth of, of their uh, vehicle. And two, that they, they went public or are announced to go public. I think they're still subject to regulation um, in a SPAC deal, as many are. Um, the company is called Archer, A-R-C-H-E-R. And, uh, and, and my friend, John McCormick, who has just been able to see the future, you know, in, in broad, um, broad industries, um, made that very prescient investment. So the reason I bring that up is, you know, for him to go around a year ago to sophisticated investors and raise money for his own, like I do, you know, he's a very early stage investor. He was raising deal by deal at the time. Um, and say with a straight face, um, you know, we're, we're going to invest in this this eVTOL, this essentially flying car company. You know, it. it you know, what, what? When? When is it going to hit? When is the shift going to happen? Is it? Is it ten years out? Is it eighteen months out? You know, did you already miss it? Um, looking at that, I am so proud of him as as my friend, and I think it just shows that you know. While that wouldn't have fit first in's mandate, you know, when you're investing in the early stage, just being being open to um, people who are are you know capable of building those those expert teams. They, they'd assembled a great team of engineers already. Um, the 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 two leaders of the company. Um, j- just being open like that is really an important thing, and and I I will think about that company and his success in that for, uh, for, 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 for a long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's definitely great. So I am not going to get through a lot of these questions because I'm looking at our time. Um, let me, uh, let me make sure I hit on a couple of key ones. So you have invested in a Colorado company called Phylum. Any others? So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, we're going to invest in two to three companies per year. And um, I would love for one of those per year to be a Colorado company, um, if not both. I am still getting to know the community here. I have been so thankful to the many people, uh, you know, venture investors, um, company builders, um, service providers who have met with me, you know, all unfortunately, or mostly via, via zoom or, or phone, but, um, uh, we absolutely want to be seeing more Colorado companies. Um, Phylum is a great start. And I think that's going to be a wonderful Colorado security story for, for years to come. But, um, but I, I, we certainly want to be meeting and investing in more Colorado companies in the years ahead. Awesome. Another question. So DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion, um, it's, uh, 
Uh, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that and uh, follow on question. How, where do you advise your startups to find talent? Right, right. Very important question. We, as first in, um, we, we view um, our work with military and intelligence community veterans as our important work within diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we would include uh, veterans in that category. We do include veterans in that category. And this is an underrepresented founder set who often, you know, have gone, served their country, come back and don't have access to capital. Um, they, they don't have the networks that they're, they have operated at a technical level equal to um, at least some of the best engineers who, who just happen to, instead of going, you know, and putting on their hat and working at, you know, call it the army uh, within the, the, the cyber realm, they went and worked for a, a brand name Silicon Valley company. That person is going to have a much greater chance of um, raising a large amount of capital to, to kick off their own business than would the military veteran. So for us, that is, that is the lens that, that we look at um, first and foremost. It's that, that um, you know, the, the, the veteran lens. And not every company we invest in will include a, a, a veteran, but uh, the first two that we invested in as first in, uh, Phylum and Cavionics, both are led by, by military veterans. Um, you know, the, the nexus at which we invest, um, military, intelligence community veterans, hardcore tech, building in the enterprise. Um, you know, the, these are things beyond just military veteran, but but other pieces of, of, of diversity and, and inclusivity are, you know, n notoriously harder to find. So we, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to do so. Um, finding talent, I think, you know, with the world being much more open to remote first, remote only companies, that has cracked open. That is just cracked open the talent pool. And um, that that is a good and bad thing for startups as everyone is learning. Why? It's a good thing because if a startup is based, you know, on the front range in Denver or, um, you know, I met met with someone who's a CTO of a of a cybersecurity business um that that he leads the tech team out of uh out of near where I live in the Roaring Fork Valley out of Carbondale and that is that that is great because now you can go find talent that that's you know resident in any part of the country or you know globally um the negative there and the hard thing that startups are all learning firsthand is and I can, you know, tell you stories about even, even the companies that I've backed, who has dozens or hundreds of people on their internal recruiting teams, the largest tech companies in the country, right. companies that used to not consider themselves tech companies that now do, some of the largest financial institutions, others. With everyone working from home or many people working from home these days anyway, um, those companies have learned how to... Uh, figure out network connectivity from the home, um, et cetera. And as a result, they are now much more open to remote workforces 
And they know just as well as anyone else, frankly, better because they have very mature recruiting organizations, how to find that good talent. So this is a huge, huge issue. It's a huge opportunity and a huge defining challenge of the era in which we are now living. And, you know, even in a, you know, whenever it happens post COVID world, um, it's still going to be a huge opportunity and challenge uh, for startups. So, um, you know, that that's why we take so seriously our technical team and their connectivity to, you know, trusted groups of technical practitioners um, and our go-to-market leadership uh, at First In who help, um, who have their, just their finger on the pulse of uh, sales engineers, regional sales managers who may be looking to leave um, companies to, to, to go sort of take, take a bigger risk for a bigger reward at a startup. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. On the lighter side, do you watch Silicon Valley? I watched, I watched the, uh, the early seasons. Absolutely. And while, while I have never lived in Silicon Valley, um, certainly can, uh, can, can, can sympathize and empathize with some of the, uh, some of the characters and the themes that they, uh, they've handled on that show. So then the question here is how true to life is that show and follow on, um, have you had any real life moments similar to that show? I think that the, you know, the, the, the best satire, um, is based on, you know, cuts pretty close to home. Um, so, while, you know, th- thankfully I haven't, uh, or maybe not thankfully, but, but I haven't, haven't experienced sort of the, uh, some of the, 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 the worst of what they parody in that, um, you know, I think there are, you know, many themes there that, that, that are, that are pretty, pretty, pretty dead on. Um, that said, uh, you know, uh, you know, one, we are huge, proponents and huge fans of tech innovation um, and and what good it does for the world. And where we see our role is ensuring that all of the wonderful tech innovation that's happening, um, that people can feel secure in, in that this new world in which we are living, that people aren't living with anxiety of, you know, is my computer going to get shut down? Is my bank account going to get shut down? Is our water supply going to get cut off? Is, you know, uh, just the, the, the ubiquity of ability to attack, um, you know, what, what can we do to help secure this, you know, beautiful, uh, the, 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 the beautiful technology, uh, that, that, that's being built every day and is so important for our society. Yeah. Yeah. That's great stuff. Um, this is this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad you joined the podcast. Uh, how do people find and follow you on social media? Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, this has been great for me, and the questions that that you asked and the uh, and the others asked were all just phenomenal and and really made made me think. Uh, hence my my long answers as I was trying to think through those questions myself. Yeah. So that was terrific. Uh, I, I am not a large proponent of social media. So essentially I just live on LinkedIn um, okay. from the social media perspective. Um, and then our company, 
uh, first in. It's just that we are first in uh, where we will be publishing more of our own thoughts and writing. Uh, there are only a couple things up there thus far. Awesome. Well, Rennie, I appreciate it. And thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Jason. That concludes my interview with Rennie McPherson. Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon. This is Jason Jakes saying be safe out there. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.